coming to you from the Philadelphia area. This is the Westchester Church Podcast. Check us out at westchestercfc.com. Westchestercfc.com. All right, well, I would like to wish a happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers in this congregation. I'd especially like to wish my own mother, who's going to be watching this a few hours from now out in Arizona, a very happy Mother's Day. Our mothers are very special, aren't they? They brought us into the world, and they can take us out of the world just like that. And I, I was speaking to Judy Steininger on the phone yesterday, and she had reminded me to also mention all of those who have lost mothers and who have lost children. And we just want to let you know as well that, that you are more loved and appreciated by your children than you ever could have dreamed. And so we, we appreciate you as well this morning. Well, we're speaking about who we are and about what our identities are as the people of God. And whenever a church would receive an epistle from an apostle, we got to understand this was a very huge deal. Because as the apostles, they were the understudies of Jesus, the great teacher himself. Now, apostles could not be everywhere at once, and so whenever a letter would reach to a certain town or to a place, it would usually be viewed as extended time in their presence, sitting at their feet, you know. I imagine a lot of these epistles going to cities with a great deal of, of excitement that, that Paul, an apostle of Jesus, has just written us a letter. So we need to get everybody in this house church together here tonight and we're going to read it. So whenever a letter went out, there was just this spirit of excitement and electricity. And yet as we come to the book of 2 Corinthians this morning, as the Apostle Paul writes his latest letter to this little house church in a city called Corinth, there wasn't exactly that kind of excitement on this occasion. You see, this is a church that had been influenced by a number of outsiders who had come in masquerading as teachers of the truth, but actually they were imposters and false instructors. And as soon as Paul left um, Corinth, they began to, to sneak into the church and to diminish Paul's credentials as an apostle. They began saying stuff like, you know, Paul wasn't one of the original 12 disciples, and did you know that he used to kill Christians and, and throw them into jail? I mean, you just can't trust this guy, Paul. They began to disparage a very simple gospel that he had delivered to them. And they're trying to confuse them and to make them think that, that you know, Jesus is okay, but, I mean, you guys were cheated by Paul. What you really need is to become Jews and to follow the law of Moses. And so as 2 Corinthians reaches town and it's read to this small house church, there is a growing amount of people who are beginning to look at Paul with contempt now. 
And that brings us to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in the first verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? And then in verse 2, let's take notice of what our identity is as Christians. As Paul says, he says, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So as he begins speaking to them here, what we see, first of all, is, is these letters of introduction that he mentions. Letters of introduction were very commonplace in the Greco-Roman world, as well as in the Jewish world in this time. When a Christian would travel from far away to another region, and they would come into a church, they would always need a place where they could stay. But especially letters of introduction were in reference to a teacher who would come in from a faraway city. And so it would just let that church know that so-and-so is coming, and this is the kind of teacher that they are. Listen to them. They know what they're speaking about. It's kind of like when an employer writes a glowing letter of recommendation for a person who's quitting and going on to another job saying that, that they are very efficient and reliable as workers, you should hire them. It's kind of like if you have ever been to a church conference or, or to a, a revival and a, a um, speaker is, is um, coming in from, from another place. And just before he speaks, a person comes up and, and lets everybody know how great they are and how smart they are and how perfect they are and all of that stuff that I hate so much as a minister. Well, Paul is not against letters of recommendation. In fact, he writes many of them in the scriptures. At the very end of, of his letter to the church at Rome, for instance, he, he writes about a woman and he says, Phoebe is, is a servant of the Lord. And, when, and as she comes to town, you should welcome her as, as a saint of God. And, and whatever Phoebe needs, give it to her just as you would if it were the Lord himself. In chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, Paul devotes half of a chapter to writing a recommendation for yet another member of the church, Titus. Well, here is really what our, our great issue is, though. Here is what a problem is in our text this morning. Is that many of these so-called instructors and teachers who have come into this church, they begin pointing out to everybody that when, as, as the Apostle Paul originally came to you, he did not have a letter of introduction. And so that means that Paul is unqualified. Paul doesn't know what he's talking about, unlike us who actually have letters of introduction. And of course, we read this and we just marvel at, at how quickly Corinth had forgotten about who Paul was. I mean, Paul is the guy who had planted the church at Corinth. Paul is the guy who encountered the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. 
We look at Paul as the greatest theologian who has ever lived, not named Jesus. And so Paul is like, you guys need proof that I'm an apostle? You want to see the credentials so that you can know that I know what I'm talking about? A little bit later on in this letter that he writes to them, he, he points to his suffering and to a hard life of suffering in Jesus. And he says that, that I want you to look at all of these permanent scars that are on my body from, from whips and from chains and from stonings because I dare to love Jesus and I dare to love other people. You see, all of these scars and calluses and blemishes, these are my letter of introduction that I know what I'm talking about. And yet notice especially verse 2, though. In verse 2, he says so much more than that, though, where he says that, that the Corinthian Christians were, they themselves are Paul's letter of recommendation. I believe what Paul is saying to this church is that when I told you about the love of Jesus and your hearts burned within you in faith, when you were grieved about the way that you had been living and you made a decision that you would spend the rest of your life loving Jesus and worshiping him as your one and only God, that was the greatest letter of recommendation that I ever could have received as to who I am and what my credentials are. Another way of saying this is that these Christians in the Corinthian church, they themselves are living confirmation that Paul had been doing exactly what he had been put on the planet in order to do. And so it's like Paul is saying, now, are you guys perfect? Absolutely not. Are you a church who makes more mistakes than, than a few? Yes, you are. And yet, those are my children in the faith, and I love them. And they are the people of Jesus Christ. And in the same way, we also are the letters of recommendation for all of those precious souls who have taught us in the Lord. And I know that there is a glaring absence of women of God who we've known in the life of this church, such as Lois Williams and Betty Smith. And yet more than anything, I want to stress to us this morning that, that all of the Lois Williamsons and, and I'm a Betty Smiths have not gone away from us. In fact, they are here with us more than they ever were before. And that's because we see them in this entire generation of women in this church who they were influenced by, who they had exemplified Christian love and compassion and servitude towards. Everywhere that you look, we have Betty Smiths and Lois Williamses now. And I'm sure that if we could have gone back to 1968, and we could have gone to a younger Lois Williams and to a younger um, Betty Smith. They would have said that, that we are just mimicking influences of other women in the church who have influenced us. And that is the beautiful thing about churches is that one generation impacts and influences another generation as it reaches that next age group. As a minister, whenever I stand up and I speak God's word, you can only hear my voice speaking. 
You can only see me ministering to other people. And yet the fact of the matter is, is that I am speaking with, with all of these styles and all of these influences of great men and women who have impacted me. As you hear me speak, you are also hearing Mike Creek speaking to you. Tim Brumfield, Gerald Payton, Dorian Flynn, Brad Nelson, Brian Zahn, Wendy Cabertle, Carla Grimsley, the list goes on and on and on. And yet the beautiful thing is, and, and this is really where our, our message exists this morning in verse 3. And that's because notice that these Christians in Corinth are not merely letters of recommendation, but, but what Paul is ultimately building towards in verse 3 is that also the epistle is you. That as you receive my letter, you guys don't even know it, but you yourselves are the letter of 2 Corinthians. It's not a matter of you receiving 2 Corinthians. My brothers and sisters, you are 2 Corinthians. And that to decide to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to decide to become an epistle of Jesus Christ. See, this is who we are as Christians. In the movie Hook, Robin Williams plays Peter Pan. And in the first half of the movie, he... He um, is Peter Pan all grown up. He is an alcoholic lawyer, and he, he has no idea who he once was. And there is a scene where even as a child, as I watched it, I knew that one day I would use this as an illustration in a sermon when I grew up. Where there is an older woman whose name is Wendy, who remembers him fondly as Peter Pan. And what she says to him is that you must go back. You must go back and make yourself remember who you are. And Robin Williams says, remember what? And she says, Peter, don't you know who you are? And it's then when she opens up this, this very old book and, and staring back at Robin Williams is this portrait of this mythical folk hero who, who is fearless and who is able to, to fly and, and to do the impossible. And eventually he, he um, reclaims his, his rightful identity as Peter Pan. Well, okay, obviously all of that is just a, um, a bedtime story. It is, it is a fictitious story. Let's get back to the non... Um, or let's get back to the, the real thing in the world and to the nonfiction. Where we're living in a world that is filled with churches, that are filled with, with many people who have no idea who they are and what they are in Jesus Christ. And I was one of them for many, many, many of my years as a Christian. And in so many ways, we must discover. We've got to embrace what our identities are in Him. We've got to reclaim who we rightfully were intended to be as the people, as the daughters and not as the sons of Jesus Christ. And that's because whether we know it or not, we are something so much more significant than just merely church members. My friends, we are the Sermon on the Mount. 
We are walking Bibles in jeans and shoes. Where everywhere that we go, we are proclaiming to a despairing post-Christian world that this is what Jesus looks like. This is how Jesus would respond to harsh treatment from the world. This is what happens when, when a person trusts in him unconditionally when life gets scary. These letters, Paul says, were written upon their own hearts. But it's not with the ink upon papyrus scrolls, which is what, what many of these letters were originally. But what he's saying is that it is being written through something far greater. And that is the spirit of the living God writing his laws upon our hearts. I don't think we even fully grasp this all the time, but, but my brothers and sisters, we are the embodiments we are the fulfillment of what the prophets dreamed of long, long ago. God, through his holy prophet Ezekiel, tells Jewish exiles about this time when, when God is going to revolutionize how, his, how he's going to become known. God says through Ezekiel chapter 36 that, that I will give you a new heart, and I'm going to put a new spirit within you. And I will remove this, this, this horrible heart of stone from your bodies. And I'm going to give you a heart of flesh and of spirit. And I will put my spirit within you and I will bring it about that you walk in my statutes from the heart. What God is describing here is a person who, who does not have to obey his laws, but it's a person who wakes up in the morning and says, is that I exist to reflect the love and the grandeur of my God. But sometimes we cling to those hearts of stone, don't we? Sometimes we resist the transformative work that the Holy Spirit wants to accomplish within us. And I'm scared, but I really believe that those Jesus fish on the back of cars... I believe that those fish have made more atheists than just about anything in the world. Where a person who knows nothing about Jesus is having a bad day and they, they um, are late for work and they accidentally cut um, um, a guy off in traffic. And this guy is going absolutely crazy and ballistic. He's leaning on his horn and he's getting behind them and, and tailgating them. And then as he gets into the other lane, he rolls down his window and he flips them off. And as he speeds away, what this non-Christian sees is, oh, look, look, they have a bumper sticker. What does that bumper sticker say? Oh, Jesus loves you. And on this other one, it says, come and visit our church at 1660 South 18th Avenue. Oh, isn't that just lovely? I was in a restaurant many years ago, and it was um, a to-go order that I'd placed. I thought that I was just going to walk in and get it and go home and eat. And yet, as I walked in, they completely had forgotten about our order. And they kept us waiting for over half an hour. I'm just standing there. And they see me, but they just never get to me. Half an hour, I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting. Then half an hour later, all, all of our order comes out. We have thought, but 
they got the order wrong on top of that. So we have to wait even longer. And I can just feel all of the, the anger and annoyance slowly rising up. And just before my frustration began to speak to that cashier, I happened to glance down at a shirt that I was wearing and slathered across my, my um, shirt in, in large golden letters for, for the whole world to see was, love God, love people, the end. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, oh, come on, Jesus. Why did I have to wear this shirt in this, you know, I mean, of all the shirts that I have, why did I have to come in here wearing this shirt in this moment? And yet it completely changed my, my um, whole mindset. And I walked up to that cashier and, and I said, hey, I'm a minister. And I just want to let you know that I appreciate you, you helping me today. And I really do appreciate you. And I know that this is a weird question, but I'm, I'm just wondering, you don't have to answer this, but I'm just wondering, is there anything that I can be praying about you for? And all of a sudden I stopped seeing an object of my frustration. And then all that I saw was this young single mother who was working her second job in her second language. And she's sleep deprived and she has a loved one who's dying nearby in a hospital. And with tears in her eyes, she said, there is more, more um, prayers that I could ever even imagine I need to ask you for right now in my life. And so as the Apostle Paul writes to these Christians, he says that you are open letters of Christ. And whether you even know it or not, you are open letters. You are living epistles of Jesus. And this non-Christian world is listening to it. They are reading the epistle that you are putting out in this world. And it was a powerful thing as this group of alcoholic idol worshipers who used to steal and participate in dark sexual rituals in, in, um, at temples, all of a sudden left that lifestyle in order to, to spend the remainder of their lives honoring this Jewish rabbi named Jesus. And all of a sudden, right smack dab and right there in the middle of all of that um, sin and debauchery in Corinth, you had this tiny little community of Christians who were responding to hate with love, who had peace in their hearts rather than, than violence, who followed a king named Jesus rather than a king of the nation as a Caesar. And as you might imagine, this, this very small church, I mean, they had the undivided attention of Corinth. And to this, Paul says that this is the confidence that we have in Christ Jesus. Lastly, this morning, we must never forget, though, how epistles and gospels come to be written. No, epistles do not come about by some lofty spiritual superiority that, that we can ascend to or to how great we, we can one day become. But rather, epistles and gospels are written only by God himself. 
As Paul goes on in our text and he says in verse 5, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. You see, I think sometimes it's very natural for us to, to read all of these, these letters and gospels and imagine superheroes who are writing them, who never made any mistakes. And yet underneath it all, the Apostle Peter was nothing but a man who had fished for a living. I mean, he, you know, he's just, just um, a fisherman. Matthew was nothing but a tax collector. Luke was just a physician. Even the Apostle Paul was just a maker of tents. And I think each and every one of those guys would have said, no, our greatness begins and ends in Christ as he is with us. And so apart from him, we are absolutely helpless. And yet with his heart influencing our actions, my brothers and sisters, we are Second Corinthians. We are Ephesians and Luke and Acts and Romans. Every single one of us are writers who are penning our epistles. So I just want to ask us all this morning, what kind of epistles are we writing? What kind of gospel is our families, our, our friends, our children, our co-workers reading when they're around us? What kind of letters of recommendation are we for Jesus and for this congregation on Instagram and Facebook? When we're driving around in traffic, when we speak to waitresses who have our, our order wrong. I mean, are we just another Jesus fish on the back of a Mazda? Or are we an epistle like Philippians? Whereas Paul writes Philippians, he is in jail unfairly. He's been arrested and his reputation has been smeared forever. Just because he loved other people the way that he loved Jesus. And yet when he writes Philippians, though, in in a jail cell, though, what is he saying to those Christians? He's saying, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say, rejoice. Do all things without complaining or disputing, so that you may, may thus prove to be sons and daughters of Jesus. He says, be anxious for nothing, because the Lord is near, and pray and worship Jesus with a spirit of thanksgiving. And so what I want to invite us to in the days ahead is very simple, but it requires a commitment. Is that when we encounter other people, let them know what your stories are especially. Show them how God has been gracious to you in your life. And that's because before we can ever give them the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, They've got to see the gospel of David, Pam, Walter, and Evelyn in us. And then when we walk into the office tomorrow morning or, or we enter into a conversation with another person, remember James 1.1, where James begins his epistle and he says simply, James, a servant of Jesus Christ. Well, James has been dead for, for a very long time now, 2,000 years to be exact. This means that we have to 
insert our names there and say David, Jerry, Amanda, a servant of Jesus Christ. And that's because now it is our turn, brothers and sisters. That's because we are the rest of the story. We are the epistle. We are very well going to be the only gospel that another person is going to read today and tomorrow and in the days ahead. The epistle is you and the epistle is me. Let's pray. As he gets into the other lane, he rolls down his window and he flips them off. 